Good morning, and welcome to those that are live with us today. We do hope that you find the Sunday special edition encouraging. And to those listening by recording, isn't it extraordinary that no great recovery support need be missed? This Sunday special edition has been selected especially for you. And no convention detail nor latest happenings go unannounced either here for a convention. By now, we hope that you have heard that A Vision for You is hosting a convention in early September. The best of the big book will be presented live September 15th through the 17th, 2017 in northern New Jersey. There are only 34 days until convention for those who have registered. The waiting is almost over. We are dressing up and going out on the town, so to say, on this one. Have your bags been packed? Travel day will be here before you know it. And for those that love the excitement of living on the edge and haven't registered, it is time. No more edge, no more ledge. It's time to register. This convention is a sure thing. No further debate. Only 12 days before registration deadline for those that are waiting. That date is Thursday, August 24th, 2017. 12 days and it's closed. Registration is limited, you know, and I just heard that the Renaissance is almost filled. I kid you not. Several people continue to register daily, I've noticed. So if you were thinking about joining literally hundreds and hundreds of your closest family at Family Reunion, today is the day to close your eyes and jump. Jump onto Vision's website right this minute. Everything that you need to get set and secured for this fantastic weekend can be located there at www.avision.com. For you.info. And if registering online is troublesome for you, and that is the reason you haven't booked this great event, call. We can help. Seriously. Don't let that stop you. And please, please, if some, for some unfortunate reason you are not able to attend convention and you have registered and you will be canceling your room at the Marriott Hotel, stop. Don't do that. Before that comes, contact Melanie C. from Oregon or Amy G. from Maryland. We need your rooms. We need your rooms. For the people that are registering, we're almost full. Our contact information is on the website. The pressure's on. The date is almost here. The lights are going up. So, well, until next week, here is our Sunday special edition. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, and thank you, Melanie, and good morning to everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 13, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, August 11th are the following. For 7 a.m. Eastern, 10297, and the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10300. This morning, A Vision for You presents From Fear to Eternity. The big book on page 67 says that fear somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It set in motion trains of circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. The worst thing about fear is that, like resentment, it blocks us off from our higher power. Most people don't realize just how many fears they have or how much those fears dominate their thinking until they put them down on a piece of paper. 
We have fears about our job, our spouse, our children, the Internal Revenue Service, and so on. We have fears about what other people think of us and about what they might do to us. Some of your fears will be rational, some irrational, some instinctive. The big book states, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. We asked ourselves why we had them. The big book says we are rearranging things into proper perspective and suggests self-reliance as the ultimate root of our fear. It further suggests that God-reliance will be the answer. Joining us this morning to speak on the fear inventory is Larry Kay, a beloved and recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Larry is devoted to living our 12-step way of life and to carrying this message of recovery. Welcome to the line, Larry Kay. Leah, good morning. Can you hear me okay? I hear you very well. Okay, great, great, great. Well, thanks so much, Leah. Appreciate all the service you do and everyone does on the line. Um, so we're going to be talking about, hey, we come up with some catchy, some catchy titles here, right? Um, but, you know, I'm going to talk about fear and I'm going to talk about it from a big book perspective. And, you know, I've heard it said that, you, you know, you, you, can't, you can't become a master sail, sailor on a calm sea. And so, too, we cannot navigate life effectively without learning uh, how to handle adversity. And for me, you know, fear was one of those adversities. And, um, and look, this is a spiritual program of action. <clears throat> so I'm going to talk uh, this morning about our fears, how we stay stuck in them, uh, how we remain tethered to, this, tethered to this unmovable post of despair, you know, unable to be released from the... Uh, from the challenges, which is fear. I know it, you know, it has been for me, um, and it's not, not the same today. And, you know, as with all things that we examine on this, this line, a uh, vision for you, I'm, I'm, you know, as I'd mentioned, I'm going to examine this notion of fear from a program perspective with the, you know, what worked for me was the big book about of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as my guide. <clears throat> um, and I didn't get that early on. I, I saw it as, you know, another piece of literature, but um, today, I learned through experience that it was actually the instructions. It's the, it's the text. It's our textbook. And, uh, and that's what it's been for me, so we'll talk about that. And I say this because these days I'm really unable to examine any of the common manifestations of this disease through anything but a filter of spiritual transformation as the result of working these steps. Now, you know, before I, I, I get started, you know, I, I'd like to share <laughs> the story of the tethered elephant because uh, this is not from the big book. It's not approved literature, but it's just, a, you know, it, it helps as a lead in here. The story of the tethered elephant, perhaps you've heard it before because, you know, we, we can learn much from the story. You see, soon after a circus elephant is born, one of, one of its legs is tethered by a short rope tied to a post. And, and this keeps the animal uh, from running away, obviously, right? This, this large, powerful animal. Yet when the elephant grows to be large, larger, two tons of power, it's still tethered by that same small rope. And even though the elephant could easily uh, snap the rope and run to freedom, it doesn't do that. See, the large animal doesn't even make an attempt at freeing itself. 
And, and why is that? Well, the, the elephant was conditioned from birth that as long as the, the rope was on its leg, there was, there was no escape. You see, he believed that, that even though it was no longer true, this is what he believed. He couldn't escape and he's not even going to try. And the word conditioned means learned. You know, how, how have you been conditioned? How have we learned to remain tethered to the post of our fears? And perhaps we were roped in by some sort of imaginary conception that our, our higher power was no match for the, the hardened steel that keeps us imprisoned. You know, maybe, maybe we, we surmise that, that all these fears must be valid and, and true because they, they were often, you know, and you'll hear from me, you know, they were often instilled in us by the, the very people who loved us most, you know, and wanted to protect us from these horrors. And, and, you know, if the program has taught me anything, it's taught me a lot of things. Here's one of them. I believe that faith and fear often exist together. But I, I've experienced that powerful transcendence that comes in practicing these steps, the 12 steps. I mean, that is the practical program of action, the 12 steps. So that when fear strikes, what do I need to do most during these difficult times is, is, is practice my faith. And... Uh, I didn't find faith in a church or a, a temple. Um, you may have. I, I, I didn't. Um, maybe I just wasn't ready to find it. I was in those, 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 uh, those places. I didn't find. I found my faith in, in the rooms of OA among you, you crazies like me, right? Um, that's where I found it. And there's, there's something about the love of my higher power that breaks down the walls of fear. Um, the steps... The steps have not removed my human necessity to experience fear. That's built into us as human beings. No, what, what, what the steps have done really is provided me with the tools to transcend the tethered fear by the grace of God. And, you know, in my desire for peace, I've learned that God cares for me in ways that I could never comprehend. I'm not here to convince you of a belief in God. You know, you could not have convinced me. But, but I, I'm here to tell you, to, you know, that it's the, the, the love that I've learned through the, this program uh, that casts out the fear. So before, you know, we get into the big book and the four-step um, inventory, I'm going to share with you some of the manifestations of my personal fears. I, I want to give you a better idea of the origin of this fear-based thinking, because a lot of it started pretty early in my life. And, you know, perhaps you'll find some points of identification along the way. I mean, after all, this is a program of identification. My mother was addicted to amphetamines starting in the early 1960s. My father, um, as a pharmacist, uh, was her willing supplier. Um, some of you on the line may recall, I'm going to age myself a little bit here, right? You may recall that America's first amphetamine epidemic it happened largely from the 1940s through about the 1970s. And along with growth in amphetamine use for psychiatric uh, indications, those the warriors, you know, saw an explosion of amphetamine consumption for weight loss. My mom was caught in that, the amphetamine consumption for weight loss. You know, any big surprise that um, eating disorders, you know, the allergy of the body may have a genetic basis. Well, guess whose mom was so strung out on speed that she had, <laughs> we, we laughed today, 
she had the cleanest house in the neighborhood, right? She was, she was speeding along, along for, uh, with caring for four children, all under the age of 10 at the time. So at the peak of my mom's addiction to uh, Benzedrine and Dexedrine, remember some of these names? In the late 60s and early 70s, I was between the age of 5 and 10 years old. Um, she, was, she was a pretty scary person, almost psychotic at times. Now, if you met my mom during the best, she, she's brilliant. She's, bro- she's a brilliant woman, um, still alive today, uh, had great skills. She's not the same person today she was back then, but I, I'm just here to share my story. You know, there was one time that I vividly remember, I, I could have been more than, say, three or four at the time. And all I remember um, was being alone with her one afternoon while, while my older brothers were in school and, and my dad was at work. And, and I just remember she got this weird grimacing look on her face. I can still see it today. And next thing I know, she's charging after me around the table. And I got so scared. Can, can you imagine how, how imprinted one's memory has to be with you know, with this fear to be locked into my memory decades later, right? I still have that memory. I mean, it's not a painful memory anymore, but I I remember it. Now, here's the catch. She was just, you know, she was amusing herself. She was taking joy and kind of scaring me. You know, my mother loved me. And after about a minute, she began to laugh. I remember that. But to a child, this was pure terror. That that was what I, I recall when your caregiver, you know, your mother in this case, the person you see comfort from becomes a monster in that moment. Now, she didn't do anything to me, harm me in any way, but I just remember it. It sticks with me. She scared the, the, the crap out of me. Well, guess what? You know, guess what? Things got worse. She, she had a mental breakdown when I was about seven years old. And anyone on the line that, that has a, a seven-year-old in your family, you know, you can imagine. One fine day, she, she just lost it. She had a psychotic, manic break so severe she began I remember that she began tearing up the house screaming and crying bloody murder she threw dishes broke glasses against the wall turned over tables um, I remember her tearing the, the, the curtains and I'm this you know little boy I remember you know trying to make sense of it all you know crying she was angry at her life um, she was screaming how she was done being a mom done being married you know, maybe it's a miracle that I'm saying today. Um, my father wasn't around. Um, he worked at his small mom and pop pharmacy all day. He was a hard worker. He was about nine years older than my mom. I don't remember him being around much, so we were left in the care of my mother, uh, sometimes psychotic, amphetamine addicted. Perhaps in this day and age, you know, I'm a psychologist, I could say, uh, you know, probably bipolar, compulsive overeater, sure. By the way, in those moments when she was saying she could be very loving and caring, very bright, all the more reason that this was completely irrational and unpredictable for, for me, right? You see, children raised by mothers with bipolar disorder sometimes are negatively affected with regard to their own attachment style, you know, how you attach to people and how you cope and, and, and how you socialize and your sociability later in life. And, you know, we know that, you know, kids oftentimes that grow up into young adults, they self-medicate, they succumb to their addictions. They may become abusers themselves. You'll hear more about me. 
a relationship with a higher power will, will kind of difficult, you know, kind of a difficult trick when you, you never learned how to trust your primary caregiver, right? So my mother went on to divorce my father when I was nine. Um, she, she remarried by the time I was 10 to a man from California. Now, we lived in the Chicago area. I never met this man until she moved me and my, my three siblings. Now I had a younger sister from the Chicago suburbs to the San Fernando Valley in California. You talk about culture shock, right? I'm in the uh, first Canoga Park. I don't even know. Canoga Park, California, Reseda, California, maybe some on the West Coast would know these places. Talk about fear, culture shock, confusion, and profound sadness for me. You know, separation from my father, that, that hit me. That was tough. That, that hit me particularly hard. I remember stealing a bottle of his, of his cheap cologne as a little boy so I could have a remembrance of his scent to comfort me. It comforted me. I, I, it might have been like some, you know, cheap cologne, but I remember taking it. And, I, and I, I would smell, I'd get back to California, and, and that would comfort me, especially when my, my stepdad began to physically and emotionally abuse me. He was, he was a little crazy. Um, you know, like attracts like. I suppose my mom attracted, you know, this person. By the way, my relationship with my mother, we're having lunch later today. <laughs> you know, it's much better, right? But he was crazy like my mother at the time. He, uh, he targeted me. I, the thing is, is I look like my father. Um, among the four siblings, I still, you know, my dad, my dad is deceased, but um, I, you know, I looked a lot like my father. And among my siblings, I, I had the hardest time with the move. Um, I remember my stepfather shaming me for, for having sort of emotional adjustment problems, right? I suspect, you know, he couldn't understand why I was always crying. I was hurting. I was depressed. And it must have made him, you know, very uncomfortable. Hadn't been married before this guy. He and my mother warned me, I remember, that, that if things didn't change soon, I would have to see a psychiatrist. Now that, I'm, a, I'm a, again, a little boy. Um, and this was framed as a shaming punishment for my behavior, you know, kind of shape up. You know, it wasn't discussed the way perhaps you and I would talk now with a child that has adjustment problems. Maybe you want your child to see a, a mental health professional. You know, the idea of speaking to, to someone about a child is, um, you know, framing it as a positive thing. That's how you and I would do it probably, right? I remember this scaring me and it, it made things worse. Um, they convinced me that there was something wrong with me that shouldn't be wrong with me, you know? Can you imagine? And, you know, the abuse and, and, and beatings and intimidation by this man continued, uh, not only with me, but, but you know, with, with others in my family. But, but over the next three years, my mother began to see how bad he was treating everyone and he was abusive to her as well. Now, I don't want to over-exaggerate. By the time I was 12, my mother had planned for our escape. And I, I don't want to exaggerate. That is what she did. She planned for our escape back to Chicago, literally. We left in the dark of the night. There had to be some you know, coordination back home because um, he was away on business, the stepdad. And three of us, me and two of my siblings, my uh, my my younger sister, my oldest brother, we flew back by ourselves and my mother and my older brother, Dave, drove back. So this, you can imagine, this took tremendous planning to escape. And yet within three months, we, we had settled back into a suburb, um, got us enrolled in school. 
Yet within three months, he followed us back, and guess what my mom did? Right, she, she took him back. And within one week of that, I, I remember I developed a rash all over my body. I had little, little spots, little dots. I was in the seventh grade. That was, you know, that was tough. Um, within one week of that, you know, um, you know, sort of um, asthma kind of stuff kicked in. I mean, all, all sorts of physical manifestation. I, ex- I experienced my first panic attack during the time. I didn't know it at the time, but I know now that at the age of 12. But at the time, panic attacks were not diagnosed properly. That level of fear, they didn't really have a good understanding the way we do today. The doctor didn't, certainly didn't know my history. It wasn't explained to him. Couldn't be articulated. He thought it had something to do with the medication I was on for asthma, the rash and the, the panic attacks. He adjusted that. It didn't help. It would be three more years of, of you know, that kind of hellish existence that this man lived with us until he left for good. I was a, now a sophomore in high school. I've never seen him since. I don't know if he's dead or alive. That was nearly 40 years ago. So is it any wonder that I had fears of intimacy, both emotional and physical? That's part of my story, all psychological in origin. And we talk about in my world, the etiology, how this all started. The etiology was clear, you know, and slowly but surely I became emotionally detached in any type of relationship. But I could sure fool you. See, I had a bit of charm, I guess you call it. And in high school, um, I had the ability to make friends. And to outside observers, you know, adults in particular, they probably had the impression that I was okay. Far from it. Anxiety, fears were my constant companions. Food provided relief. And so did my participation in sports. See, all through high school and later in college, I was good at sports. And I was an athlete. And so I played uh, baseball in high school and also in college. And so I was able to hide my eating problem. I wasn't heavy during that time. It came on later for me. Post-college, marriage, for me, let me just say, I certainly tried my best with the awareness I had at the time. Self-centered to the extreme, scared of rejection, up and down emotionally, full of anxiety. The panic attacks would come periodically unless I could numb out those overwhelming feelings with food. Let me, let me get into the big book here. Let me start with a reminder for us on page 62. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation. But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. See, I never imagined that my fears had any connection whatsoever with my self-centered thinking. I just shared with you all this stuff where I was victimized, right? Where's the selfishness in that? Didn't get it. I always believed that fear was largely due to external causes. The program is going to help me to understand how my troubles were basically of my own making. And I know, again, that I shared with you a lot about my childhood, the tough circumstances outside of my control. So the notion of selfishness was something that I was going to have to understand in its proper context. Maybe I didn't understand selfishness 
in the way that they the program would would have us understand selfishness. Let's jump back into the big book. And hey, Leah, I'm going to ask if you would mute everyone and then I'll come back in. Would that be okay? If you're out there or Mel, just want to make sure that the line's all muted. Sure, I'm going to do that. Oh, that'd be cool. Thank you. I'm back. Okay. So let's jump back into the big book. Once we we take step three, we're, we're making an affirmative declaration that based on my understanding of the problem in step one and the solution to my problem, step two, I'm going to make this affirmative declaration. I'm going to say something out loud that I'm going to rely on, I'm going to turn over my action and my thinking to God. I'm going to rely on God by moving through the rest of the steps, 4 through 12. It's, it's that simple. I'm just making an affirmative declaration. Not a particularly complex thing, although you can make it more complex if you'd like to. You can. I did. I don't recommend it, but you can. You see, the big book reminds us on page 64 that although this was a vital and crucial step, this, this, this affirmative declaration, to move through the rest of the program. It would have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor, my Oreos, was just a symptom. It wasn't a problem. It, wasn't, it was a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. So time for some interpretation. To the extent that we're still ruled by resentments, fears, harm, harms done to others, including sexual conduct, we're going to remain blocked off from the flow of the Spirit. And that flow of the Spirit, which is necessary, it's, it's absolutely necessary. If lack of power was my problem, then doesn't it stand to reason that the access to that power is going to be my solution? And if I don't believe that, then why would I be motivated to do the work to access that power? Why would I? And I know for me, I wouldn't. So the bottom of page 67 says, notice the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown, Mrs. Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It was an evil and corroding thread. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains and circumstances which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. But did not we ourselves set the ball rolling? See, distressful anxiety occurs when my thoughts about, you know, what I don't want in the situation outnumber the thoughts about what I do want. And distress often, you know, the result of focusing mostly on, on what could go wrong instead of what could go right. And the big book is going to allow me, you know, to face, first find, discover what, what, what the, the, the core fears were. And then I'm going to have, once I have the, 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 um, the notion to, to discover what those are, then I'm going to be able to see and face them with courage, to face them with courage. And, you know, you know, for me, most of, most of us make the same distinction between fear and anxiety. And sometimes it's merely a matter of linguistics, you know, with how we word it. 
we say we have a fear of something, like flying or getting old, picking up our binge foods, and anxiety about something. Perhaps the same things, flying, aging, relapsing. And sometimes we distinguish the two by our bodily experience. I'm sure you're aware that, you know, the, the, the neurobiology of fear is different than the, the neurobiology of anxiety. You know, the sudden rearrangement of, of your guts when an intruder holds a knife to your back, it's fear, is different from the, the mild nausea, the dizziness, the butterflies in your stomach as you're about to make a difficult phone call, you know, to your sponsor about why you didn't follow through on something. That's anxiety. So anxiety is also kind of the word of choice to describe lingering apprehension or a chronic sense of worry or tension. And, you know, the source of it may be totally unclear. But the notion of fear always connotes something. It means something bigger and stronger than anxiety, you know, breaks down in real life experience. So you can have like a short-lived fear response to a bee buzzing around your face. And, and you can wake up at three in the morning, a wash in anxiety that won't let you go back to sleep. So it was just important that I understand some of the distinctions. In everyday conversation, we, you know, we use the, the language of emotions that we're comfortable with and that fits our, 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 our psychological complexion. And, and so, you know, I just needed to kind of get clear on, on what's fear, what's anxiety and that sort of thing. Needed to develop a vocabulary for some of that thing, for some of that stuff. Um, back to the big book. It, said, it gives us now some instructions. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So I may have some resentments tied to my fears. I may not. We ask ourselves why we had them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us had once great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so. For we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely upon him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So for me, you know, when I, when I began to, to get some of these fears down in my inventory, and I'll talk more about the inventory, I had to get clear on what those were. And, you know, we're great as human beings at self-deception sometimes. You know, and we're kind of taught from a young age, you know, um, not to, to, to feel fear, that somehow that's a weakness, so we don't give voice to it. And so maybe that would even permeate our, our step four inventory. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid of the big bad wolf. You know, I'm not afraid of this, that. I, you know, so it, it's not even going to make it to my inventory. When in our heart of hearts, we know that there's perhaps some fear tied to it. So for me, for example, when I started getting some of my fears down, some were really clear, but others, and I'll give you an example, others I, I just didn't want to give voice to, and I'll give you one of them. I didn't want to give voice to a fear that, I had a fear that my daughter, she started driving, that she was going to be killed in a car accident. 
and that, and the fear was, you know, that this would happen and I would, you know, I would just be destroyed and I, I wouldn't be able to go on. I didn't want to give voice to that fear. So I, I, I encourage people, we can't, we, we, whatever it is for you, we, when we're, if, we're do, if we're following the instructions precisely, now you can't create a fear that's not there, obviously, but it's just to get really clear and dig deep. We've got to move through these steps quickly, right? Like our hair's on fire. So, but that doesn't mean that we're not thorough. So I had to, to the best of my ability, I had to really dig down deep as to some of these fears that I didn't even want to articulate. I didn't even want to entertain that I was fear. It's like whistling in the dark, you know? I didn't even want to give voice to it. You know, so I have to make sure that I'm, for me, and I just learned this through experience, so I offer this up to anyone by way of suggestion, is, again, to get really clear on what some of those deep fears are. And, you know, if you, when in doubt, put it down. Just get it down. Even if you, even if you, you, you can't you know, get it down entirely, clearly, and so forth, but just it's, there's something there. You get it down in your inventory. Because it is an evil and corroding threat. And we're going to need, I'm going to need for my higher power. If there is a higher power, of my own understanding, as I process and proceed along in the process sequentially, I'm going to need that higher power to remove the fear, those fears that's, that, that keep me stuck and tethered. And I can't remove it myself. So just by way of just to let you know, how's this, you know did, I, did God remove, did God somehow suggest to me that you're, this, this is not a possibility for your daughter, that fear, not a possibility? Clearly, that's not true. But what I can tell you today is I don't carry that fear. Now, if we talk about it enough, sure, it would, bring, it would make any parent uh, cringe, you know, anyone that, you know, obviously. But I'm telling you that it doesn't tether me. We started talking about being tethered. It doesn't tether me and affect all manner of behavior so that I want to control every, you know, my environment around me. It doesn't do that to me anymore. So what this program for me with the fears is it's not that it removes fears. It changes my thinking, my motives, my ideas, my, um, my interpretation, my perceptive lens surrounding those fears. That's what it's done for me. So, um, and, and, you know, to go back, so we review our, our, our fears thoroughly. We, you know, we get them down on paper. Now, I didn't have a resentment tied to that particular fear. But um, I, I had to ask myself why I had it. And, you know, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? I was relying on myself to do whatever I could to avoid that situation. So first, the first car that we got for my daughter was this huge monstrosity. Um, you know, it was a Ford Expedition, an older model. So here's Larry trying to control that deeper fear. Now, you may say, well, you're just, you know, you want your daughter in a safe vehicle. And okay, yes. But for me, maybe that make, that's true. But for me, there was a much deeper fear that Larry was going to control. I, and so where's my self-reliance? Certainly not on God. It's on Larry. I'm going, and guess who, guess who taught my daughter how to drive? I'm going to control that. Now, you may have too, but I'm talking about my motives. I'm going to teach her how to drive. I'm going to drive you know, 10 zillion hours with her. Now, does that have an impact on my daughter and how I'm approaching it? You betcha. And then the car and, the, you know, the type of car. 
and, and everything. And, and here's the thing. I think, well, but that's my fear. It doesn't affect other people. Oh, really? What's, what sort of message in totality am I sending my daughter? In all of the controlling steps, while I'm not relying on, upon God and I'm relying upon Larry about this deeper fear, what message am I sending to her? Don't trust, you are, don't trust yourself. You don't have self-efficacy. You know what I mean? You don't have the ability to, so you better be scared. Look at, look at what dad's doing. She notices those things. And then she begins to not trust herself. So, you know, we have to be able to kind of connect the dots and have a, have a strong enough sense of why we need to address these fears in this inventory. Because I don't want to pass along this fear-based mentality to my daughter. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that you know, that, that you, need to, you, know, you need to take, you know, need to be safe, you need to take precautions. But where am I placing my trust? And it was not on God. It's like, I'll take this one, God. You're in the backseat here. Okay, but I'm going to need to begin to change in that regard. So wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Yes, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. And I had, you know, great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem. I still was, uh, you know, controlled by that tethered fear. And when it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there's a better way. We think so. For we're, we're now on a different basis. And I'm back in the big book. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We're in the world to play the role he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as we, as, as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. So I, I read that before. But, you know, God has given me now. Now, it didn't happen in step four. I had to complete the rest of the steps had to complete the rest of the steps in sequence. So it says, we, we never apologize to anyone for depending upon our creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means, faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. So I want to give you like an example this morning. How do I, you know, I, I, how do I practice step four? I had a fear this morning. I mean, it wasn't an overriding fear, but I, you know, the fear is I, I want to do a good job this morning. I want to be, you know, I, I want to help others. So here was my, 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 my prayer, you know, God, help me to set aside everything I think I know about being of help to other people in, in, in program on this vision line with the special edition. And hey, God, how about you fill, you know, fill me with what you would have me think and feel and do. So, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is I can't just, you know, suggest to you that I, look, I turned my will in my life over to God in step three I took a, you know, four-step inventory looking at my, you know, looking at my fears way back in the day. Maybe I've revisited it from time to time and I'm done. No, I'm practicing and I'm leaning into these steps. I'm leaning into four through nine, the, the, the action steps every day. There isn't a day that goes by that I can't suggest to you somehow that I am leaning into those steps. And I think that's how I 
and able to stay in alignment, not perfect alignment with my higher power, but closer alignment with my higher power. So let's, let's take a look at the, the fear inventory or, or just discuss it. And see, I use the one offered by um, Lori uh, C. I believe this from Canada and, and Blair. Give credit to Blair because he mentions them. It's on, it's on the following site um, and, and it, it um, the website. And, and I don't, it's not, I don't know if this is an OA approved, but I'm just offering that this is um, an inventory that follows the big book instructions. That's why I like it, you know, but it, it, there's nothing perfect about it. And, he, and Lori would be the first to say it, I think. But it's at www.oabigbook, all one word, www.oabigbook.info www.oabigbook.info. Now, I mentioned that one. What I like best about that one, again, is that it follows the instructions of the big book. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, you know, kind of wrap up by saying, you know, by talking a little bit about this, but I want to, you know, with the fear inventory, before I get in that, fear <clears throat> talks about fear as a thief. You know, it, it robs us of our relationship with God and others and prevents us from reaching our full potential. And fears, you know, can usually be classified into, uh, you know, three categories. Three categories. We can be afraid of losing what I have, afraid of not getting what I want, and afraid of being found out. So fear in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. And when right-sized, and, and, you know, it's not controlling, a fear brings about the ca you know, caution and prevents us from being hurt. So it's okay. But it had to be right-sized by my higher power. In other words, if I'm by the ledge on the roof of a tall building and I experience some fear, well, that's a good thing because it's letting me know that I'm in a dangerous position. You know, the fear around this situation is going to bring about caution and prevent me from being hurt. Now, that said, if going near a sealed window on the 29th floor of an office building freezes me in panic and fear, this is not right-sized and is controlling. And I need to analyze and seek the truth about this fear so I can move towards uh, freedom from it. And, and one of the, you may have heard this, I'm sure perhaps you have if you've been around program, a really great acronym for the word fear is false evidence appearing real false evidence appearing real. Another acronym perhaps on the, on the humor side is, uh, I've heard said is frantic efforts to appear recovered. Frantic efforts to appear recovered. Just like with the resentment inventory, you know, um, uh, you know there's a, a fear inventory prompt sheet that people can use to, to help you identify the fears. I think Lori may include that. But it, it, notice that the, the big book doesn't say fear goes away and never comes back again. That's, that's, that, that, that's not true. It states that we outgrow fear. We outgrow fear because through prayer, we're asking God to direct us towards his will, to do his work. I want to do my higher powers bidding. And notice that the, the last part of the prayer says <clears throat> what he would have us be, <clears throat> not what he would have us do, but what he would, what he would have us be. We must go deeper than just changing, uh, changing out actions. Because, you know, what, you know, who we are and what motivates us will drive our thoughts and actions. So I need for God to change those. So the last, the, the last thing I, I want to wrap up by saying is that fear inventory, and obviously I'm not going to go through the fear inventory and wrapping up here, but just the one 
on that site that I gave you. Again, it, it you know, in, in the first column, you know, I'm fearful of, and you're going to put what you're fearful of. In the next column, column two, and I work these columns vertically all the way down. The next column, why do I have the fear? And, I, you know, and I recommend people, let's, let's not write a, you, you can write a thesis if you want to, but it's certainly not necessary. It's going to slow you down. The next column on Lori's uh, sheet, again, all following the instructions in the big book, where was my trust and reliance? And he simply has infinite God or my finite self? Just check marks. And I work those all the way vertically down. Then the next column, did self-reliance work? Yes or no? In most cases, if I'm honest, I'm going to say, no, not working for me. And then in the, in the, in the, the following column, it has the fear prayer from the big book. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And what Lori has in those is just, did you complete the fear prayer? And you just check a box. And again, working that vertically down through all, all the fears. And then finally, we get to the, to the last column. What would God have you be? You know, writing out your answer to that question for each and every fear listed. What would God have me be? You know, we, again, we're learning. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So in most cases for me, what would God have me be? I, as long as I'm walking around in fear, okay, of ABC, whatever it is, how can I be of maximum service to God and to those about me? It doesn't mean that I can't be of service at times, but can I be of maximum service to God and to those about me? No. So mostly for me, it came down to that. You know, God would have me not be owned and tethered to that fear so that I can be more helpful to you and to God in the process, that I could love more deeply and profoundly, you know, the people that I care about and that I could not over love, you know, that I that I was, that I could not become, God, did God want me to become that helicopter uh, parent to Beth hovering around her every move? Is that what God wanted me? I would suggest through a prayer, I learned that that is not the parent that God wanted me to be. And that's not the parent that I am today, although I'm not perfect. So anyways, I'm uh, just going to wrap up there and say that with the four-step inventory, you know, it's, you know, you, you just do it. You know, a lot, a lot of people get hung up and where they pick up, if, they're, if they've been abstinent, where they pick up is in the fourth step uh, or sometimes the ninth step. Because we're, we're and, and if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, we're taking, not that it's a good thing, it's not. That's why we have to move through this quickly. Um, but, but if we spend too much time, you know, uh, with these steps, you know, those kind of un, the uncomfortability kicks in and the feelings because we're, we're, we're looking at things that scare us, that we resent, harms done to others. We look at our sexual conduct. And then in the ninth step, you know, now we're, we, you know, again, attached to, to the foundation of fear of going out and we pull out our crystal ball thinking we know exactly how amends are going to go, how they should go, how they will go before we ever make them. And then we sabotage ourselves sometimes and we pick up. And then, you know, the problem with that is for me, is whenever I would pick up food, I'm really back to step one. Not, not, not because you say so, but because I feel like a fraud moving forward in the steps when I've picked up. Do you know what I mean? And so you can't get the full benefit of them 
once you pick up. And that's why. So it's not so much that, a, you know, rah, 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 you're back to step one. There I am again. It's not that. Like, uh, it's just that I, 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 even if I tried to move ahead forward right where I am and I got abstinent again for a few days, I really have not addressed step one because clearly if I pick up, I have not conceded to my innermost self that I am indeed powerless, that my life is unmanageable. That's why. So anyways, with that, I'm so appreciative, so grateful for this program. It's changed my life. If it can, if it can help a guy like me, believe me, it can help you. And this isn't, the last I'll say, is this isn't just for people who are smart or people that have a big bank account or people that can work. This is for anyone. This works for anyone as long as you work it properly, as long as you follow it and you do it quickly. And thanks again, Leigh, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry, for sharing your experience and personal insights this morning regarding identifying our fears and outgrowing our fears through the recovery process. Thank you so much. Larry's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And we're going to now transition to question and answer segment. Please press star 1 to unmute and identify yourself in order to ask a question. Linda D. Linda D. Kathy K. Kathy K. All right, we'll get started there with Linda D. Hi, this is Linda D. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader in North Carolina. Thank you for that wonderful talk, inspiring talk. I um, wanted to ask you about this um, question of dealing with fears throughout the day. Sometimes I know that I need to um, work a tenth, which we know is a four through nine, really a one through nine, because it's a big thing, a big restlessness, a big irritability or discontent. But as you go through the day, and and the, and the little things happen that happen to us humans, little annoyances, little um, uh, re- repetitions of, of uh, irritations, for example, or fears that just don't aren't too serious. How do you decide when you need to do a full ten step, or um, if they're smaller things? How do you how do you move through those in a conscious way? I hope that's clear. Oh, yeah. No, that, that is very clear. <clears throat> that's, that's a question uh, I get a lot. You know, when does, for me, I think, and again, you know, really, it comes down to trust and reliance on God. And this is what I mean. So over time, uh, I've been able to trust and rely upon my higher power more through this program. And that's essential to your question for me, because how do I know? I've begun to trust myself more. That, that's the interesting, the sort of interdependent nature of this, this, this spiritual transformation, because, you know, before when I didn't trust, I'm thinking, all right, does this, wait a minute, I don't really trust myself. Is this, is this rise to the level where I have to do a full blown 10 step where I've got to, you know, um, you know, go through that whole process. Um, now I'm continuing to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fears. It mentions on page 84 in the 10th step. When these crop up, 
Now, I will ask God to remove them at once. So if, it's a, if it really rises to the level, and I've, I've trusted myself more over time, Linda, where it's really just not leaving me, you know, and it's, it, it's just rise to that level. But the little sort of, in, you know, those little annoyances, someone cuts me off in traffic, maybe there's fear, maybe there's resentment tied to it, um, you know, at work, you know, those things that kind of cup, you know, come up, someone else's motives, you're interacting with people. How about in your family, annoyances that may, may drive some fear? I mean, there can be fear. Uh, let's see, yesterday, um, you know, my daughter's in college and we want to, we, we've funded a college plan, but she's going to need more, right? A little bit of fear about that that I have, you know, because we don't want her to come out with loans, um, if at all possible. But, you know, where am I placing my trust and reliance? So a little bit of a fear because, you know, her mother and I are talking about, you know, what can we can contribute, at, like, on an ongoing basis um, to the fund and all that. All right, so there's a little bit of fear. So, but it didn't rise to the level. I, I just have found for me that God, Linda, has helped me to kind of just navigate through that. So it may get to the level where I, I, I'm going to need to ask God to remove it. I'm going to discuss it with someone else. I'm going to call an understanding person, usually someone in program, get it out of my head. I'm going to make amends. I don't really have to make amends too often where I've harmed someone as a result of that fear, but it does tell us to make amends. And then, but the easiest one for me that I use every day is to resolutely turn my thoughts to someone else I can help. Um, I had that opportunity. I have that opportunity every day. And, no, and then that dissipates the fear for me. But to, to your question about how do I know, I don't know that you'll, I just think over time, Linda, you'll just get to where you trust in your reliance on God. Um, I trust myself more than I ever did. And if that seems incongruent with this program, it's not. It really isn't in my mind. It's something where just over time, through my deep, profound trust in God, ironically, I'm able to trust myself more. So I don't know if that helps at all, but, um, but, but that's my, my answer to that. It, it does, Larry. What about the other ones that are very difficult? You keep doing attempts, but it doesn't seem to go away. Well, then, then you know, for me, now that, that doesn't happen too often for me. I'll be honest at this point, but it, it did. You know, even as a newly recovered person, you know, it did. Um, but with those that I am going to discuss it with someone else and I'm going to follow, I think the big thing that I was giving short shrift to Linda for me was that last piece. I was spending too much time discussing and I, it said discuss with someone else and I was commiserating. I was seeking out and finding people to agree with my point of view, to commiserate with me. And I'm not suggesting you're doing that. I'm saying that I did that a lot and that kept me focused on that. And it was hard for me, Linda, to pivot to the most essential piece of that, which is to resolutely turn your thoughts to someone else you could help. Because that's, what, what, that's the stuff that dissipates that fear, that resentment. And I was spending, I had to reanalyze and see, am I spending too much time in discussing and commiserating? And, re, you know, remember, resentment, refeel. You know, it's like we're right back there. We're re-commiserating. Every time I share that, I'm discussing it. How am I discussing it, Linda, with someone else? Am I really, really trying to persuade them to agree with me? Am I calling people that are advising me? I don't call people that advise me, oh, Larry, woe is you, you know, let me tell you how I'd handle it. If my sponsor or other people are doing that, 
I'm just saying that wasn't effective for me to transcend that. The way I rely on God is, ironically, is, you know, getting very quickly to resolutely turning my thoughts to someone else I could help. That's not hard to find. So I hope that helps a little bit. Yes, thanks. Great. Thank you, Linda D. Kathy Kay. Thanks, Leah, for all your service. And thank you, Larry. It was great to hear you. This is Kathy Kay, recovered from Boston. So um, Linda sort of asked my question, but I'll phrase it a little bit differently. Um, I've been doing fear turnarounds, um, you know, for about five years, and I've been helping others through sponsoring and the one thing I have not been able to articulate for myself um, is how to deepen uh, the reliance on God. I mean, I know the questions and the fear turnaround, and I do stop to answer them and to share them uh, with a fellow traveler. And sometimes that's enough and sometimes it isn't. And you pointed out going ahead and doing service helps let go of the fear. But is there anything else that has contributed to your um, getting more out of this process over time? And I'll stop. Hey, Kathy. Yeah, it's so good to hear you. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think what I have found just through my experience, and it, it's more trial and error. Like I try to follow these, these instructions and just try to find what kind of works best, what's embedded. I'm learning more and more all the time about them. Um, yeah, you know, I, I looked for sort of, you know, different techniques and different things that I could use to extract myself from that fear. You know, sometimes, you know, for me um, – the other thing was, you know, I, th- there are certain things, and I'll give you a recent one, that I'm just, no matter how much I, I work, I, I do a 10-step turnaround, um, I, that fear, I'm just stuck in it and I'm suffering in it. You know, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with it. And sometimes I just have to get to a place of acceptance of just, it, it, always, it always gets better for me. I'm not saying that those fundamental fears uh, go away. I want them to go away quickly, Kathy. I don't, it's kind of like it was, it used to feel, we all remember this, I remember it from years ago, just like staying out of the food when I wasn't recovered. You know, it's just so uncomfortable and it's like, and I know I've got to sit with it, you know, and, and, um, and work through these steps. And, and maybe I can be instructed from that a little bit. There are some fears for me that I'm just going to have to sit with and accept and yes, maybe suffer through them and know that perhaps search for context in the meaning, meaning in context, context in the meaning, because, um, and I'll give you one. Um, I spent, oh gosh, about two months almost living up in Wisconsin. I was doing some, um, what they call critical incident stress debriefing. There was a major, uh, explosion up in, in Wisconsin at this ethanol plant, corn mill plant. And, 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 and I was, um, that's one of the things that I do from time to time, thankfully not as often, but you know, every few years there's some incident. Well, just usually I, I would go to these things and it could be like an explosion. It could be, I mean, a horrible kind of calamity. 
were in, in this case, there were deaths and so forth and uh, lots of injuries. And I'm doing, you know, some grief counseling, some adjustment counseling, post-traumatic stress, all that. Okay. So that's the, you know, and so while I'm up there and I, and it, and it really, as a program person, someone who's been changed by God through this program, I really, really feel good. And I'm in the right position to do that. Um, and it, but there's a great need. And I was the, you know, I was the only one, you know, there's local people, but they don't have the, um, the experience, you know, in that area like I do. So I was really charged with a lot, helping a lot, you know, can, like, like being in a trailer on site, you know, meeting with people for eight, 10 hours a day, making home visits, all that stuff. So anyways, where, where there was some fear was, um, you know, I'm, this is like a workers' comp thing with insurance and all that, and you know, and I don't, I don't get involved in all the administrative stuff. But then, invariably, like you know, insurance companies they have their own things, and I have to accept that, you know, they kept extending it because they the company kept asking for me to stay up there, and and I would, and but I'm just dealing with individuals and families and people that have lost loved ones, and you know, so I don't really. So there was some fear and resentment, and it wasn't leaving me. Cause I don't want to deal with insurance companies and, and that sort of thing, you know? So sometimes, you know, I could, t- and I could, I could ask for God to remove that. I could share that with someone else, Kathy. I could, you know, I didn't need to make amends. I wasn't harming anyone necessarily that I, you know, looking at that as a result of those things. And it was easy for me to turn my thoughts to someone else. I could help. There I am out there helping other people, but also talking to people in program like I normally do. So that was easy enough, but it wasn't necessarily leaving me as quickly. Sometimes I just had to be willing to say, you know what, Larry, you're not running the show. Is there something I can learn from this? Is there something, can I sit with this feeling of uncomfortability? And for me, that's one of the gifts of program that I can, I'm able to do that. Sometimes it just doesn't get removed on my time, but you know what? I'm not there today and I'm talking about it. I don't feel fear, resentment tied to it today. And we got through it and we're, you know, so I don't know if that helps at all, Kathy, but that's, that's, that's about the best I can do with that sometimes. Yeah, that, that's very helpful to remember to sit with it and accept what is. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thanks, Kathy Kay. Who else has a question for Larry this morning? Star one to unmute. Raz R, Florida. Raz R. Jody EQ. Jody EQ. Leslie W. Leslie W. Judith R. Judith R. All right, that's a group. Roz R., your turn. Thanks, uh, Leah. Um, this is Roz R. Recovered in Florida. Um, thanks so much, Larry, for your um, your share this morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, Larry, I'd love to know your experience. Um, I've, I've done a lot of 10 steps, you know, on fear and, and I follow the path of the big book, you know, what it says to do, you know, um, the, the steps that it says to take, you know, uh, ask God to remove it, share it with someone else, you know, and then turn your, your thoughts to, to someone else. But there's many people um, that I've talked to who are recovered uh, in the program and who, you know, attend vision, who have said to me that they've reached a point where um, they don't always feel like they need to actually do the part of talking to someone else and they just take it right to God. I just wondered, have you experienced that in your um, uh, dealing with the fear inventory, uh, you know, in the, in the fear, like 
uh, on a daily basis. And, and with that, I'll pass. Yeah, that, hey, Ross. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and my, my short answer is, boy, I don't do anything short. My short answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I do that. I do. And I found that that's just happened organically, you know. And isn't that really, I would suggest, isn't that really where, where we need to come? Now, I, Roz, if I told you that, yes, I do that, and I don't call anybody, I've gotten to a point where me and God, we just have this, well, then that would be defeating too because this whole program is a we program. But I, I would say some of those things that don't rise to the level of, you know, and I've just begun to trust myself in this God-centered place to make those, you know, to, to kind of, and I don't, somehow I, I just rely on God sometimes for those things. And I could just ask God to remove it. I can, I can discuss it with my higher power. And now that said, I do not, you know, avoid speaking to people. I mean, hopefully you can tell just hearing me, I hope I'm transparent enough where you can tell that I'm comfortable and, and, and very desirous of, like sharing things with other people. But what I've heard sometimes, and this was the case for me, is early in program when you're still uncertain and you're still very uncomfortable and there's lots of, let's say, fears and things and you almost feel I'm tethered to fears a thousand times a day um, and I'm, you know, that there's, you know, you're, you're probably going to have to make more calls and, and that sort of thing and, and really um, not commiserate but share, get that out of your head and share it with someone else. Um, and then quickly get to that place where you're making amends and you're resolutely turning your thoughts to someone else. But yes, I am at that place. And I would be willing to bet, although I can't tell you for certain, that there's a few others that also have, over the years, been able to rely on their higher power. That's the whole basis of the spiritual program of action. So, yeah, I'm right there. Thank you so much. Thanks sure, a lot, Sure, sure. You bet. Thanks, Razar. Jody EQ. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service. And thank you, Larry. Wow, what a beautiful story you told us. Um, You're such a great example of someone who has taken his own personal tragedy and um, come through it and learned a way to use it to help others with similar calamity in their lives. Thank you so much. So my question is about what you mentioned about when someone picks up again after having worked the steps, it's necessary to go back to step one. So if you're sponsoring somebody uh, that does that, do you take them all the way through the steps again? Say they've just done four through nine, they've done their inventory, they've done their amends. and they pick up again, you go back to step one and go through the whole process again. That's my question. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jody. Well, first, let me say, I stole this from Leah, and it's probably several years ago, because she said something that I, and we steal things from other people that just captured, because I I extended the same bit of, you know, just appreciation towards her. And she said, (laughs) she said, thank you for noticing God's handiwork. So now I stole it from her. So it's like, thank you, Jody, for noticing God's handiwork. Okay, so that being said, um, yeah, I, I do, but, you know, that may sound exhausting. It's like, oh, my gosh, now wait. So you're back to step one. Now, I, I try to deal with people. I, I'd like to tell you that it's, it's compassion, you know, so it's not like you did what? 
how dare you? And step nine, well, how could you do this to me? Don't you know who I am? You know, and you picked up and you're back at step one. And, you know, obviously, you know, and, and no, it's with compassion. It's just like, you know, let's, let's address. I mean, and, I, and I'll always turn it to myself and say, you know, when I, when I picked up, it's not if I picked up, when I picked up in early in program, even in step four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, what have you, um, you know, I was not fulfilling what was asked of me by taking step one, which is con- conceding. We concede to our innermost selves, you know, that we indeed are, we have this thing. We are compulsive readers. We are, we have this alcoholic mind and body. And when I pick up, I've obviously conceded nothing. Now I don't say, I try to say that and deliver that with compassion to not suggest and, and, and you're a horrible human being because you did that because you didn't concede. No, not at all. You know, it's just, we're, you know, every time I picked up, it was because I was uncomfortable, clearly, and I was unwilling in that moment, unwilling to go through that uncomfortability as I quickly proceeded through the steps, like my hair was on fire. So, you know, now, now, if, you know, if, if I get some pushback from that, you know, I'm not going to be like, you know, I'm not here to debate anybody. I'm just here to say this is what I understand about the program and also what has worked for me. So if you want to do it another way, if you have a better idea, on how, go ahead and do that. Let me know how that worked. I'm not going anywhere. You know where to find me. I'm on vision for you every morning. Uh, I'm not too hard to find. I'll be here. Now, I don't have to have too many of those conversations, but I, I will say it. Hopefully, it'll, it, it'll come through not too sarcastically. But, you know, I'm not going anywhere. But in answer to your question, now, logistically, are we then reading? Now, I would encourage them, right? Look, let's go back. You know, I would encourage you because I need to do that. Let me get back into the doctor's opinion and really get clear on what my problem is because I can't do better than Dr. Silkworth in terms of laying out what the, what the problem is. And let me, you know, maybe quickly get to the point of understanding. I might tell them, you know, maybe, maybe when we went through the big book, you, you know, maybe I, I don't know, I'm just a guy out here. Maybe I didn't communicate in a way or as, as we're reading the book together. And I might say, you know, Harlan, for example, or this one or that one, they have done a beautiful job um, of really capturing the essence of that, you know, this particular chapter, let's say, that drives home step two or something. You know, I hate to pick on individuals, but, you know, there's certain people that have been helpful to me. Maybe go out on the special edition and listen to their 20 special editions on that that they've done or whatever it is. And maybe, you know, you'll, you'll, your higher power will speak to you through them, you know. And so it's not like I'm now rereading everything because we all have, you know, we have limitations on time. So I don't know if that helps a little bit, but, yes, that's usually what we have to proceed through that. So hope that helps. Thank you, Larry. That is helpful. Sure. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Jody EQ. Leslie W., your turn. Thank you, Leah. This is Leslie W., um, recovered in, in Tennessee. Thank you, Larry, so much for your share and for your willingness to be honest this morning about um, your life and your experience. I learned so much from all of you. My question is, um, 
about uh, the connection um, between um, fear and selfishness. Um, something occurred last week at my husband's um, job, and it really just um, struck fear in me of, okay, what's going to happen um, with, with your job? How is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect our family? And so on. And so, um, and, and, and it occurred to me as I was rambling and cause I never ramble. Um, and I'm <laughs> going on and on <laughs> about, <laughs> about um, how I felt to so my husband and he was just looking at me like, wow. Um, you know, here you are talking about how scared you are about what happened. What about, about what might happen? What about me? And it has just occurred to me that I was being incredibly selfish. So I guess my, my question is like, in your experience, is fear often tied with selfishness? Um, and if so, how does that, um, I guess that would be two tenth steps then, really. Um, how does that manifest itself in working, in working it out is what I'm trying to work that out right now. So that's my question. Yeah. Hey, Leslie, thanks for, thanks for the question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I found that it was the case for me that um, I had to broaden my understanding of, of what the word selfishness meant in the context of the program here, because I always viewed selfish as like, you know, morally, you're just this horrible human being. That's how I perceived it, you know, prior to coming in for my, and, 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 and it really wasn't that I had broadened my, my understanding of what they meant. Just expecting things to go my way, you know, could be selfish, following my script. Even, even if it, Leslie, let's say you and me decided, no, it should go my way. I, if I polled nine out of 10 people, they would agree with this, you know, so, so it should go my way. But just the fact that I expect the script to go my way um, was selfish, you know, for me. And look, I, you know, when, when my sister, for example, I'll just give you one, yesterday, um, and like I was, you probably heard, you know, I was sharing that I've been, I've been gone. For, I've been out of town for the better part of two months, you know, not entirely, but just back a day or two here and there. So I've really been gone. But so we were communicating, my, my sister and I, by text, which is always kind of a, a strange phenomenon in this day and age, right? Um, but and it was just, she was expressing, um, I had invited her, invited her to the lunch I'm having today with my daughter and my mom and um, so forth. And she couldn't make it, but um, she, she had said, oh, well, well, how about today, meaning yesterday? And I couldn't make it because I was just back Friday for being gone for so long. So I just said, hey, you know, we'll, we'll do it another time. And that opened the door for her to, um, to express, um, let's see, let me look here where it is. She was saying that, um, you know, something about like, yeah, you know, I just feel like, you know, the, <laughs> she was, you know, the family, like we're, we're not as close as we were and so forth and so on. And, and I'm not, I'm not delegitimizing any of this, but this is just where she was. She's been overwhelmed at work. She's been and probably a lot of disconnection and it's coming from a place of love, Leslie, like she, but she was expressing it. Now in the past, I would have been like, I would have taken that as like a direct shot. Like I'm not being around because she did throw in, she's got two younger children, like under the age of 10. And she's like, and, you know, I want them to grow up seeing, you know, her, her you know, their uncles. It's like, Oh, punch, you know, like she's right. But, you know, so 
I was feeling a tinge of resentment there. Okay. You get the, you know, and, and a little bit of fear that I'm, you know, that was tied to it as well. And, you know, sometimes, but here's, here's the, so yes, fear, where's the selfishness in that? Let's say my, my tinge of fear. Now it was not full blown and it's dissipated through acceptance by the grace of God. Right. But is like, you know, it's like, the, the script doesn't have to go my way. You know, I mean, my sister feels what she feels and, and there's probably some legitimacy to what she's saying. And can I just expect that she is, she and I and the family are precisely where we are. Nothing, nothing Leslie happens in God's world without God knowing about it. And I'm not there to suggest that this, what's going on is supposed to be, I don't know, but I'm just saying that it is where it is. And so, too, is the ability to transcend that. So the way I view it is my selfishness might just be my expectation that it's going to go another way, that she shouldn't, you know, she shouldn't express that. She should understand I've been out of town. She should understand, you know, that I, no, she is where she is. I am where I am. But my immediate thought was, okay, God, help. This was my prayer after the, after the text. God, help me to set aside everything I think I know about my relationship with you and my sister and my family, would you fill me with what you would have me think and feel and do? And then be open and patient to God's, you know, showing me because I don't want to put God on the clock. All right. And go God. Tick, 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 tick. You know, I better feel better. You know, so I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm answering much, but I'm just giving you a little bit of my read on it. So I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. Thank you, Larry. Sure. And thank you, Leslie W. Judith R. Did you call Judith? I did. <laughs> Thanks, Leah. Thank you so much, Larry. It was wonderful to hear you. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a an example, uh, taking us through the whole. You gave us many examples, and I always find examples the most helpful. I'd like to hear you just take one fear and work it through all the way um, to the uh, the sheet according to to the big book and according to Lori. Okay, well, well, I'll, and I'll I'll do my best, but I, you know, in the interest of time, Judith, I'm happy to like have a discussion with you. We could do it too, but you know, so let's just say, you know, um, I'm fearful. I, I I gave the one before. I'm fearful of you know something terrible happening to my daughter, right? Like a car accident or something, you know? And so that's the first column. And, and why do I have this fear? Partly I have this fear because I'm afraid that if something were to happen to her, if she were to die, that I wouldn't be able to handle it. You know, that I, I think, it, I, would, I mean, life would be so out of control. I mean, in any parent, I'm using the extreme fear, but any parent can relate to that on some level. But I think that that's at the core for me. It, it's more about me. You know, and, and how would I, I just love her so much that I, how would I be able to go on? Where was my trust and reliance there? Was it, on, was it upon infinite God or my finite self? Well, clearly, certainly that, that fear is embedded in, you know, trusting my finite self. Did self-reliance work? Uh, no, not working too well. I shared with you, you know, all the things that I was doing that were not helpful to my daughter, I can tell you. So self-reliance was not working. I'm going to check that box. Thanks to Lori and Blair. Um, no, it didn't work. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say the, the, the fear prayer. God, please remove my fear 
with regard to my daughter in this, this situation and direct my attention to what you would have me be. And then I'm going I'm to check that box. I completed the fear prayer. Now, what would God have me be? Well, I can, I mean, and I'm just going to sort of articulate best I can. You know, I might have more time with a, a four-step inventory to give more thought. But I'll tell you, God, God would have me be, that, that one, he wouldn't have me ruled by this fear. Because, Judith, how can I be helpful to God and to you if I'm running around uh, self-centered to the extreme, carrying this fear? How can I really be of, now I could try to be of service to you, but it's going to be hard. God would have me be, God would have this fear removed so that in the midst of the reality of it, I could still live the way my friend Chris, who lost a child, is able to lead a spiritual life today. Crazy, can't believe it. You know, um, so God would also, how would, would God have me be the type of parent that's going to hover and control? Is that, is that the parent that God wants me to be? To, to alleviate my fear so that I'm going to, Beth, call me a hundred times. Call me on your way. Well, not on your way. Don't text. Don't call. But call me as soon as you get there. Call me. Is that, is that what God wants me to be, Judith? How does that help Beth feel that she has self-efficacy, that she can be trusted, that she, that she can grow into an independent uh, woman and citizen? No, that's not God, how, how God would have me be. God would have me be, yes, to, to be cautious but to be centered, to be able to be trusting, accepting. Now, I don't put my head in the sand, but I am not my own higher power. So I, I hope that helps a little bit, taking it through. That's a very abbreviated fashion. Totally, thanks. You bet. Thank you, Judith R. And we'll have our final invitation for questions this morning. Star one to unmute. Identify yourself, please. Carmela G. from New York. Carmela G. Jenny S. I didn't catch the name. Jenny S. Jenny S. Anyone else? Okay. Carmela G. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, for your service. And thank you, Larry, for your beautiful share. Um, I look forward to seeing you both soon. My question is, um, I didn't get programmed until I was very um, old, so to speak. And um, my defects of character were part of my fabric of my life. And being selfish, self-centered, all of that was part of me for 68 years. So now that I've worked the steps and that I live in the steps every single day, um, when I do my nightly review, sometimes I say, hmm, am I afraid of being found out? Do I fear that people will know that I really am that angry witch, that, 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 resentful person or is this serenity real you know it's almost like i'm doubting the peace and serenity that i'm feeling of the program 
And uh, one example will be when you gave the example of your daughter. Uh, I have a, a bro- I had a, a brother who died very suddenly a year ago, and I have only one other older brother, and um, he recently had surgery, and I was very fearful of the outcome. And I, I prayed about it. I gave it up. I turned it over. And then after I looked at myself, I realized the fear was based on selfishness. I was afraid that if I lost, he, he's like so, we share so much, we talk so much about everything, not just about life in general and family. And I didn't want to give it up. So when I realized it, I turned that selfishness over. And my fear was, would my brother know that I was so selfish, that it wasn't just out of love for him, that it was my self-seeking, that, um, and I was fearful of him knowing that. Uh, how do I deal with that? Is that normal? Is that a part? I know it's a part of all of our um when we identify, I know many people in program have this issue, but uh, what do I do with something like that? Is there something I can do better? Thank you for allowing me to ask that question, if it makes sense. It does. Hey, yo, Carmela, we'll see you in uh, in Jersey. Um, yeah, no, it does make sense. It does make sense. Um, and again, it, it kind of goes back for me to, you know, over time in program, you mentioned about getting a program later. I've Gosh, I, many of us do, you know, and I, I've worked with people that are, they don't even, you know, they don't even get to program 60s, 70s, 80s, and I've seen such amazing transformations. I've seen the power, you know, a higher power work in their lives and change people. So you begin to trust yourself more over time. But with that specific situation, it's just, yeah, it's a perfect um, step 10 kind of opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. to, to lean into God to follow the 10th step, you know, um, it's funny, makes me, makes me think in, 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 in the chapter of vision for you, you know, it talks about, um, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I must get along without liquor, but how can I have you a sufficient substitute, you know, and even with your brother here, yeah, yes, Carmela, there is a substitute and it's vastly more than that. It's a, it's, it's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm on page 152. It's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There, Carmela, you will find release from care, boredom, and worry about your brother. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. And the most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus, we find the fellowship, and so will you. You know, where are you going to find those people? They're all around your community, your vision community, and so forth. So with your brother, I don't have a defense. I just say that, you know, you do the 10-step work as often as you need to with him. And and I really, again, need to ask myself, you know, it's kind of because it reminds me, say, with your brother, with my sister, where am I placing my trust and reliance? The more I'm trying to control the script because I know how it should go, I want it to go a certain way, and don't I deserve it that it should go that way, but it's not always going to go that way with my sister. She's her own person, and she's entitled to be her own person. And so my fears about am I being the, the uncle that I should be to her children, I do the best that I can, and I'm, and I'm open to God's awareness or God, God's guidance. God, 
help me to so you know help me to set aside everything I think I know about you know about how I should interact with my brother about my fears about you know in your case Carmel and my brother and and fill me with what you would have me think and feel and do I think if it's not so much a technique but it's just more opportunity to place your trust and reliance on God through prayer and just having the right words Carmela and then being patient for that to come in God's time you know that's what I need to do because if I expect that I'm going to feel better with relation to, in relation to my sister now and it's not getting better God what what am I doing wrong or what are you doing wrong then I'm barking up the wrong tree here. I need to be patient, you know, and, and, and more compassion, compassionate towards myself in that patience, you know. So anyways, look forward to seeing you in New Jersey. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Carmela G. And our final question this morning comes from Jenny S. You may need to press star one to unmute, Jenny. Thanks, Leah. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. And thank you, Larry, for um, for being willing to share part of your story with us. And my question has to do with um, you talked at one point, <coughs> excuse me, about the difference between fear and anxiety. And I think you gave some examples. And and I think you said that it was important to know the difference. And and I'm not sure that I got that. So I'm wondering. Can you go back and talk a little bit about the difference between fear and anxiety and why is it important for us to know the difference? Yeah, and I hope I didn't give you the impression it's important. You, I, it was important for me to know the difference, you know, and um, and and because um, I just, you know, words words matter. Like the words in the big book, the instructions matter. That's why we study it. That's why I love studying it on a vision for you because we study the words and their interpretations and the meanings in the context of a paragraph. So with the same thing with, you know, understanding the difference, it was important for me to, you know, and I, I mentioned that, you know, distressful anxiety for me occurs when my thoughts about what I, you know, what I don't want in the situation tend to outnumber the thoughts about what I do want. And, you know, that the, the, the distress associated with that is often the result of focusing mostly on, on what could go wrong instead of what could go right. And so I had anxiety. I would get out my crystal ball, you know. You, maybe you have one. I have one. And I get out that crystal ball back in the day and still can on occasion and, and sort of have that conversation with my sister and, or my mother in my mind and what I'm going to say and what she's going to say or what she's thinking. And I the truth is I, I don't have a crystal ball. So I need to understand anxiety in the context of that. And, um, but we, most of us, you know, make some distinction between fear and anxiety. And, and I mentioned that it's sometimes it's just a matter of linguistics, you know, what words mean. And we, cause we say we have a fear of something like flying or getting old, or how about fear of that? I'm going to work this program of action, but I'm going to pick up my binge foods and the shoe's going to drop. I had, that was a big fear. I think that's a common one with a lot of people. And anxiety about something, perhaps the same things, so flying, relapsing. So I had to, do, for me, it was just helpful for me. I don't know if it'll be some distinguishing the two, you know, by my bodily experience, you know, the kind of the, the biology of fear is different than the biology of anxiety. That was helpful to me. I don't know if it will be for you. 
you know. So I use the example, the, you know, just the, the, the sudden, you know, fear that one would feel if an intruder was holding a knife to your back. We can all imagine that. It's different, you know, from the mild nausea or dizziness or butterflies in my stomach before I got on the line. Well, I didn't have nausea but, or dizziness, but, you know, the butterflies. So those, I had to make that distinction, and it helped me. And you know why it helped me? Because when I was going through the fear inventory, now when I had a distinction, I could kind of clarify in my mind the different anxieties, mild or more, um, there was more depth to them and fears and the distinction between the two. Because I had to write down, what are my fears? What are the causes of the fears? So I don't know if that helps. It was just something helpful to me. I'm not suggesting that everyone would need to do that, but I, it was helpful to me. So hope that helps a little bit. Thank you. Thank you, Jenny S. Thank you to all who asked questions today. And, of course, thank you so much, Larry, for your consistent service on A Vision for You, helping others in so many ways. Thank you so much. We're going to close from page 164. I do want to mention that the share ID today is 10303. That's 10,303. From page 164, A Vision for You, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past freely of what you find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.